As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to Be Amplified, the podcast with Bree and Thais, episode 24. Hey Amplifiers, welcome to Be Amplified, the podcast. My name is Thais. And I'm Bree Seely. We are the co-founders of the Amplify Collective. A movement aimed at radically disrupting how purpose-driven women connect and operate in the world. Because we believe it's not just what you do, but who you are that matters. Each week, join us for messages and interviews that will leave you feeling amplified and ready to change the world. Let's do this. Hey, 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 Thais here. Hi, guys, Bree Seely. I was just going to say, we are the founders of the Amplify Collective. But you already know that. <laughs> but you already know that. <laughs> and if you don't, you should. You should. Uh, we have a really amazing podcast guest with us today. She is a business bestie for, for me and for Brie. And we are excited to highlight her and her incredible work with you all today. Uh, but before we get into that, we want to talk about quarter life crisis. And before we get into that, let's talk about our event that we have coming up in, oh, what, eight days? Yeah, we have our last mixer of the year. Yep. And so it's one of our unnetworking mixers. There will be probably 40 women. That's usually our average attendance. Yeah. And we will be at this great boutique in Venice, that carries all made in Los Angeles products. Uh, so that's it's exciting. Pretty cool. We invite you all to come join us, to come on network, to come meet some amazing women, and to shop. Yes. So that's happening October 18th. And tickets are available online. Just go to our website, theamplifycollective.com. This is your last opportunity to check out what it looks like to to unnetwork yourself before the year is over. And so we really want to see you there. Okay, so let's talk about quarter-life crisis because what? this term, quarter-life crisis, I feel like is a new, it's a, it's a new word that's been coming out in the past, what, I'd say like five maybe 10 years. Um, it certainly was not a thing 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Uh, and I think the reason why quarter-life crisis is becoming a thing is because we are 
uh, it's it's basically when when our entire childhood and early adulthood, you know, college times, we're being taught from other people what our life should entail, and it's usually based on a very systematic conversation. You know, you need to go to law school, go be a lawyer, and do law for the rest of your life. And I think where quarter life crisis comes in is when we realize, wait a minute, we don't want to live our lives the way everyone else has been telling us we need to live our lives. We want to figure out something for ourselves. We actually want to be fulfilled and happy in the world. And what I've been doing so far is not what's going to take me to the next level. I think the really cool thing about the generation that we're in is that for the first time in history, pretty much, we are standing up and saying, I'm not willing to define my happiness based on someone else's definition. Like, I want to make my own path, and I want to do what makes me happy. And just because the world says that I should be doing this, and I should be doing this, and I should be doing this, um, you know, we try that for a while. We try that from, you know, early 20s, well, A, all the way up through our lives. But early 20s, you know, we're like, oh, well, the world says that this is how my life should look, so I'm going to get married, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And uh, it's really the first time where, you know, we've tried out someone else's way and we get to this point where we're like, wait a minute, I've never actually investigated what I want. I've never investigated what my desires are or what my path is supposed to be. And it's really our first opportunity to stop defining our lives based on the desires, wants and needs of other people. Yeah, I uh, I love the conversation of what does it look like for you to create your life. Uh, and I know that Brie and I talk about it all the time because we're adamant that if you want to be happy, you're going to have to go against what everyone has told you to do uh, because most people's perspective on life has to do with what beliefs and stories they grew up being told. So none of us are really free. None of us really are living in autonomy. We're living based on expectations, beliefs, and stories. And when you come to an age where you realize, wait a minute, I don't want to just work at this one place for the rest of my life and then retire. I don't want to wait until I'm 60 years old to enjoy my life. I don't want to... I don't want to date the boy that... Or marry the boy that I dated in college just because we're already together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's time for us to redefine what it looks like to live our lives based on us. And I think that's why, well, I think the fact that quarter life conversation is coming up now is pretty, um, it's connected to the fact that we're marrying at an older age or having children or opting out of having children. We are buying houses at a later age. Um, much of it is because we're kind of at the place where like, we, we don't have money. <laughs> this generation is not a generation that has a lot of wealth early on. And it's also the generation that wants to try and be creative and do new things. And so bringing all those things together, we have the quarter life crisis. So what do we do about it? Like, wh- how do you know that you're in a quarter-life crisis? You know, how can you navigate the quarter-life crisis? Those are some of the things that Brie and I want to talk to you about today. I want to start, though, by each of us sharing our quarter-life crisis, like where we were at, at, you know, 25, 26, and uh, really our kind of like come-to-Jesus moments Yeah. <laughs> where we, uh, you know, I dismantled so much of my life at that age and continued dismantling it for many, many years after that. Um, so yeah, well, let's see. So my quarter life crisis, I think happened, um, a little bit younger than most people. It happened when, 
I graduated college. So I graduated college early. I graduated in three years instead of four. I had taken enough AP classes in high school that I was able to graduate early. The school was not very happy at losing $50,000 from me for that additional year, but I was very happy to be able to graduate early. Uh, but then I moved back home to Maryland and all of my friends were still in college. All of my friends were still experiencing the college life and here I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I had taken the LSATs. I was going to go to law school, but I didn't get the LSAT score that I thought I needed to have in order to get to the law school that I wanted. And the more I interviewed lawyers and got to explore the different types of laws, the more I realized that money was not to be made here anymore. The The law world was saturated because of the economy. People are going back to school, which means law schools are spitting out a lot of law stu- um, lawyers and there was not enough jobs. So if you weren't committed and passionate about law, you were not going to live and, and be happily ever after in the field of law, which is, I think, for any industry. Like if you're not really loving it, you're not really going to find success in it long term. And uh, so I got a job as a marketing coordinator for a solar power company, and I shifted my position a little bit to operations um, coordinator. But marketing coordinator, operations coordinator, it was a small firm. There was maybe 10 of us in the back office. Uh, and as much as I liked being a part of something, I quickly realized, I think it was like three months into the job, that I was not meant to work for somebody else and that there had to be more than this. And I could not imagine myself working in solar power for the rest of my life. And I could not imagine working at this company for 10 years the way I thought that's what we had to do, right? You graduate college, you put a lot of stress on your degree, you get a job in the field, and then that's it. You just coast for the rest of your life. And this job was not going to be the job for me. It was great at the time. It was exactly what I needed at the time, but it was not what I needed for the long haul. And uh, so I kind of went into a quarter life crisis where I was like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, what, who am I? What do I want in life? Um, And that's when I started going to yoga. And then yoga led to uh, going to the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, which led to me starting my coaching, uh, my coaching business, which led me to moving to Jersey and taking a sabbatical for a year in Jersey. It's what I call it, my year in Jersey, where I worked at Lululemon and I was trying to figure out who I was and I was teaching a lot of yoga and I was in a relationship with a man who was not going to be my long-term partner, but I felt kind of needy for his love. You know, all the low vibes decision happened that year. And uh, yeah, it it took all of that. So I think my quarter-life crisis lasted mm, three years until I finally figured out, okay, this is who I am. This is what I want to be. Not that it's at ever a conclusion, but you, you get more affirmed up in yourself and you kind of start finding that one path that you feel like you can go down. And that's what happened in 2013. And uh, here we are at 27 years old, kicking ass and taking names, making billions of dollars, changing the world, one podcast at a time. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So how about you, Brie? I know your quarter life crisis included buying a house. It did. That's so funny to think about. Oh, my God. Um, So my quarter-life crisis also actually lasted about three years. Really? Do you think that three years is a theme? I don't know. Mm, Anyway, uh, it's a theme for us. But mine also (laughs) happened later than Thais's happened. So mine was, you know, I had moved back from Italy, got a job as a costume designer, got my day job. 
um, was living in this small town, not doing what I loved and had kind of started my fashion business, but I was like still pretty much like on the fence about it. I was doing a, a few little things here and there, but nothing committed. And I started realizing little by little by little that I was super unhappy. Like I started dating the first guy that I met in Olympia and, uh, really, and that was kind of my, my thing. Like in college, I dated one of the first guys that I met. Um, and that was just my thing. So I was dating that, that this was guy. Thing. It kind of was <laughs> like in Italy, I, I dated one, you know, one of the first guys that I met. I don't know. It just, I, I always dated based on convenience, like not necessarily. Maybe this is why you're, you're right now on the path to finding your, your soul twin, twin flame, twin dude. I mean, <laughs> because you're not, because... you're not ready to just find the first guy. And in... exactly. Yeah. And I'm so committed to, yeah. Anyways, I mean, that's a whole different story, but anyways, like <laughs> I had just dated based on convenience. And so, you know, I was working a job I didn't like. I was dating a guy that had been convenient. We were living together and little by little, I started waking up and being like, I'm sleeping a lot. And I thought you were going to say, I'm sleeping around a lot. No, no, I don't do that. But, uh, but I was like, I'm sleeping a whole hell of a lot. And I get home and all I do is watch trashy TV. Like the days of Tila Tequila and Flavor Flav, like that is all I watched. <laughs> Our TV was pretty much constantly on BH1. Okay, wait, pause. So these are two indicators <laughs> you may be in a quarter life crisis. One, you sleep a lot. Two, you're watching shitty ass TV. Watch how much how much reality TV you're watching. And here was the kicker. I wasn't just watching it. I was like, oh, my life is way better than these people's lives. Yeah. Like clearly I'm doing the right thing. Clearly. No. If I'm watching stuff like that to escape my life, clearly I'm not doing the right thing. So and three, so, look at ways that you may be escaping your life. For yeah. you, it may not be TV. It may be numbing out, binging out. I mean, obviously my story was binging. I was binging a lot starting at like, what, 18, 19. Um, beautiful. Yeah. I'm just dissecting your story. <laughs> so little by little, I kept like awakening to the choices I was making and how fucking miserable I was and you know my boyfriend was so kind and he was such a good man and he like took care of me and was really good and loved the kitties and you know all these things so on the outside it was so good and I remember just a few months before I broke up with him one of our mutual friends was over and she's like the two of you have the most perfect relationship and you're the most perfect couple and all of this stuff and I was just like then why do I feel so fucking miserable yeah and so um, I did what I did back in the day. Um, and she bought a house. Nope. I was a runner. So when I... So before the buying of the house. Before the buying of the house, I was a runner. Well, I'm... Yeah. And so... She doesn't mean marathon runner. No, I, I don't run. But energetically, if I didn't like something, I would just fucking run away from it. So I knew I was unhappy and I just got up one day and booked flight to Italy. And decided that I was going to go to Italy for two weeks and go stay with one of my girlfriends from grad school and um, just go be for two weeks. And right before that, I had gone to see an intuitive and she and I were talking and I said something about my boyfriend and she looked at me and she goes, uh, you don't have a boyfriend. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do. And she's like, energetically, you don't have a boyfriend. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And, you know, we talked about it more and she told me some things and 
um, ended up going to Italy knowing that when I got back to America, I was going to have to leave Here's my another, boyfriend. Here's another indication that you are experiencing quarter life crisis. You find yourself removing people from your life that you didn't think you would remove. Yeah. So I had to come back from the state or from my trip in Italy and break up with my boyfriend. And he even said to me before I left, he said, uh, I have a feeling like you're going to come back and break up with me. And I was like, no, I would never. No. What makes you never think that? do that? And I mean, I got to Italy and it was like one of my first two days there. I was sitting on top of the Duomo in Milan and uh, a friend of mine had given me Eat, Pray, Love, which is so fucking cliche. <laughs> yes, it is. And so cliche. I was <laughs> sitting on the rooftop of the Duomo in Milan reading the, like, even just the, I think it's like the first 10 pages of Eat, Pray, Love. And the part where she's on the bathroom, breaking down, praying on her knees in tears, you know, to God about how miserable she was, uh... I closed the book and I sat on the Duomo with my huge fucking sunglasses on, thank God, and cried for like an hour. Another indication you are going through a quarter life crisis. You find yourself doing odd behaviors (laughs) like praying and crying in public places. Right? With hundreds of people. Like I remember there were so many different languages being spoken all around me and I could like feel them all and uh, just had this whole complete total mental breakdown on the top of the Duomo in Milan and let all my tears flow. And it was so magical on the way back down, you know, here I am hundreds and hundreds of feet above the city. And as I'm walking down this teeny tiny little walkway, um, to go back downstairs, I hear this violin start playing on the streets below. And this violinist was playing the theme to Godfather, which mm. is one of my favorite movies ever. And I remember just stopping and pausing. And I don't think I've ever seen the Godfather. What? <laughs> I don't think you'd like it, but it's, it's, epic like it is so good it's so good actually i lied i think i've watched all of them um but that's how memorable they were for me so uh so yeah i remember hearing it on the streets below and just having this really serene peaceful moment and then went and had a great trip for the rest of the two weeks and came back and broke up with my boyfriend yeah and uh it was shortly after that that i bought my house which was not a good decision and uh you know, little by little, I started committing more and more and more to my business and, and I stopped getting off the fence and I started reprioritizing. And, you know, I kind of made a commitment to myself that I was not willing to play by the rules that other people had laid in front of me. I, I wasn't willing to continue having a day job and I needed to find a way out. And of course, it took me, I mean, a good five years after that to get out of my day job. But um, but yeah, it was that was really kind of the start of it for me. And it was within three years that I moved to L.A. and just all of the things. And so I guess for me, it was that like really deep point of depression and realizing that I had been really following this path that just wasn't mine. And I wasn't willing to do that anymore. And I just kind of it was it was a progressive taking a stand for myself and a progressive taking a stand for my life and my desires and my mission and my place in the world and all of those things so yeah I think it's really a deep unrest a deep call within you for something greater and it can look manifest in different ways this is just how it manifested for me and just how it manifested for Brie 
but it can look different and it can feel different for every individual. But I think the energy is the same, which is this call for something greater and a deep knowing that where you are and what you're doing is not going to take you to where you really want to go. And sometimes it requires us to get married, have children, buy houses before we have our crisis. And then that usually comes as a midlife crisis. Um, Though midlife crisis, I think it's just a little bit different. I think midlife crisis is more like you look back in your life and you realize you haven't quite achieved all that you wanted and the decisions that you've made in your past aren't quite leading you to fulfillment in the future. And I think quarter life crisis is more like the beginning. The, oh my gosh, like I really want to be known for something big. This isn't leading me there. But in any case, it, it really comes back down to like, it doesn't matter what it looks like in our lives versus what it could be looking like in your life ultimately though it's a decision like oh my gosh it's time for me to try something new and so I would love to share Brie you know some some tips that maybe we have on how to navigate if you are in a quarter-life crisis like how to navigate it with a little bit more grace so that you don't end up killing yourself <laughs> yeah. killing the world in the process I mean I think for me the biggest thing is don't resist it because the more you resist it, I think someone once said to me, what you resist persists. And so the more you resist it, the more you remain out of alignment, the more you kind of keep shuttling your life towards that, well, this is how it's supposed to look, is the more that the universe is going to cause you pain and cause you suffering and cause you all of these things, because that's not what you're supposed to be doing with your life. So stop shitting all over yourself. Not uh, shitting, shoulding. Yeah, peoples. stop shoulding all over <laughs> yourself and uh, really just follow, like, trust that if you're being called to something else, that's that's truth. Like, that is correct. That's where you're supposed to be going and yeah. trust it and stop resisting it. Yeah, you allow your heart to break open. Allow yourself to break completely. Sometimes it takes a deep break, a deep surrender, a deep moment of complete loss in order for you to build yourself up. I mean, the dark night of the soul is an experience that many of us have. It's what Elizabeth Gilbert had that mm -hmm. propelled her to, you know, have the adventures of Eat, Pray, Love. It's the breakdown that I had. It, it's it's a thing. It's a thing that happens when you finally realize that everything that has been happening up to this point is broken and is not going to serve you anymore. So allow it to break you. Fully break surrender open up there's something new that can be poured in but first you have to let go of the old mm -hmm. and then I would say um you, one know that you're not alone and two you don't have to do it alone and three it doesn't have to be such a damn struggle so yes it's gonna be challenging because it's gonna force you to reevaluate everything that you've done and and take new actions and that's uncomfortable and scary but you don't have to do it alone it doesn't have to be some torturous experience where it's you against the world in fact, I believe that we're constantly co-creating with the universe. And more importantly, you can always rally support. Rally support of the people that have done it, who have been through it, who coach people around it. Right? Rally the support of your friends that are that you adore and that you have an unshakable um, commitment and connection with. Like really spend time with the possibility of you getting the support and the help that you need and then ask for it. You know, the world isn't going to read your mind. If you want something, you have to ask for it. You have mm -hmm. to ask the people that you want to support you to support you. You have to tell them what's going on. You have to be open with yourself and be vulnerable with the idea that, oh my gosh, I'm going through an experience. I don't know how long it's going to last, but I'm feeling called to do something bigger. Can you support me? Can you be there for me? And then allow them to support you. This is what it looks like to go through 
the squeezing out process of you taking yourself to the next level. This is just what it looks like. Yeah. But you don't have to do it alone. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, not to have a shameless plug, but that's kind of why we've started the Amplify Collective. Like, really find a community of people, what be women, men, whoever, people that are willing to love you and boost you up, like, unconditionally and support you in that growth. Because if you have people surrounding you that are constantly telling you that you're doing it wrong or that you should stay in your job or this or that or all these things that aren't aligned with what your heart is calling you to do, then it's going to cre- it's going to make the process even more painful. Yeah, I mean, we have people in the Amplify Collective who are before the quarter-life crisis. We have people who are in the quarter-life crisis. We have people who are post-quarter-life crisis. We have people in their midlife crisis, people post-midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. We have all of the crises, all of the phases, which means we have women who know exactly what you're going through. So if you don't know anyone in your community, reach out to us, reach out to our collective. You do not have to do this alone. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be hard. Um, so yeah, so final advice, Brie? Any final tips that we can share to uh, Answer support? the call. Yeah. Oh, go watch Finding Joe. Yeah. I think it'll actually really help some people. It's a great movie about the hero's journey. We've recommended um, it before and we'll recommend it again because yeah. it's so good. It's so good. It basically guides you through the hero's journey. And of course, the hero's journey's first call is, the re- is, is a call, but then there's a refusal of the call, um, which is normal. It's the fear. And then you'll find the mentor, right? And you decide, yeah, this is it. I want to go on this journey. And yeah, that's what Bree is saying. Answer the call. You know, don't be afraid to to trust the unsettling in your body as something new, something really exciting are, are in the horizons. And you don't have to have a quarter-life crisis. It does not have to be your whole life has to go by before you decide, shit, like I didn't lead it the way I wanted to lead it. Like use this frustration and unrest to, uh, to catalyze you to the next level. Amen. Well, should we bring on the queen of quarter-life crises herself? Let's do it. amplifiers today we have one of Thais and Mai's personal favorite Thais and Mai's I feel like that's not proper grammar I don't care when have I been a proper grammar uh but anyways Miss Mira is one of our personal friends and personal favorites we just fucking love her so let me introduce you to her a little bit before we get started Mira Jolie helps millennial women find their passion rock their confidence and get paid to do what they love And side note, she's fucking brilliant at it. Mm -hmm. Find her wisdom in the new book, A Women's Guide to Sisterhood. Mira serves her clients through the dynamic Ambitionista online community and through her signature mentorship program, Year of Massive Action. Mira is passionate about feminism, social justice, and LGBTQ equality. She's inspired by celebrities RuPaul, Tyra Banks, Angelina Jolie, and Lady Gaga for fearlessly chasing their dreams, owning their truth, and giving back to their communities. Amazing, Mira. We're so excited for this conversation. Holy Mm -hmm. shit. Thank you. I love you guys so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So the way we uh, kick off all of our interviews is we're going to ask you, and you're going to (laughs) answer, what does it look like for you to live an amplified life? Living an amplified life means believing in the dreams that you had when you were a little kid and there were absolutely no limitations on what you could accomplish in the world. I love that. Yeah. So tell us more. What does that look like (laughs) for you? 
So I couldn't have imagined that I would be in the personal development industry when I was a little girl. I'm pretty sure I wanted to raise baby animals in the zoo. (laughs) Regardless what we choose as we mature, for me, it means conquering the fear-based limitations that we start to develop in, in the world. You know, just there's so many things out there that are crushing our fears creating our fears and we it's our job to go in there and untangle that and move through it and come back to a place of wholeness and believing in everything that you're capable of Mm, that's really powerful and I think it's going to be all the more powerful when people know you know that you've done that in such a badass way so I would love 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 for you to share just a a sneak peek like a peek because I know we can talk all 30 minutes just about your experiences and your and how you've gotten to where you are but I would love the listeners to know a little bit about you like what has led you to this moment Okay, we're going to try to do this in like three minutes. Let's see if we can do it. <laughs> okay, ready, go. I have the stopwatch. Uh, so I was the most ambitious person I knew when I was 22 years old. I had paid my own way through college while working full-time and uh, living on my own since the age of 19. I was making $50,000 a year at 22, which isn't necessarily like bank, but it's pretty good when you're 22. Yeah. And I look back and I think of myself as the kind of girl that was so ambitious. She didn't have time to party. Like she was so, so driven. And my journey led me in through the middle part of my 20s and the late part of my 20s where I hit what I now understand to be called the quarter life crisis. There's a hashtag for everything, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) And that looked like me taking the leap from my good girl super driven path of working in corporate America and making great money and having all the titles and the business cards and the outward success to deciding to take a crazy leap of faith because I actually wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just didn't really know how I would do that. So my, uh, my initial strategy was I'm going to figure out how to make a lot of money in a little bit of time. And then I'll have the mental space to go figure out how to be a business owner So I I set out to become a bartender initially, but I ended up falling into exotic dancing. So I became a stripper for a while. And that uh, there's a whole story behind that. You guys can check out my bio on my website to hear all about that. Um, I was a freelance graphic designer. I was a nightlife club promoter. I became a dominatrix at one point. Like I just tried everything. And for me, that's part of my message is that like whatever you're being called to, whatever your journey happens to be, it's completely okay to go do that and do you. Unfortunately, after a while, I realized that I wasn't really serving in the big way that I wanted to be serving. And that's what led me to kind of fall into a dark place. I hit a period where I was suicidal. I hit a period where I didn't know if I could actually move on because I had gotten so far off my path which is not to judge any of those decisions I made, but to say that we all have a much bigger purpose on the planet. And when I finally decided to own that and get the help I needed, I was able to come out victorious on the other side. Thank God I didn't take myself out of this planet because I know I have so much to give. And you give it so beautifully. So a little context, Mira is part of my our mistress mind or mastermind uh, with Katie, who we've also interviewed on this podcast, which you can check out her interview at bit.ly forward slash be amplified. But Mira, Katie, Brie and I, we have created really a beautiful 
community and support for each other this past year. And since we've joined this Mistress Mind last November, all four of us have seen astronomical effects in our business. And it has been so profound to have this community and this support. And much of that is because of Mira and just her brilliance. And so we want to take a moment to thank you for just being so passionate and so amazing in everything that you do. Thank you so much. We are all pretty much superheroes when you <laughs> like. It's not quite the Power Rangers, but it's somewhere in there. I mean, and there's the pink one. Yes, I was going <laughs> to say. <laughs> yeah. So, Mira, what was it like? What was that moment where it shifted for you? Where you went from that, you know, dark night of wanting to die, and then coming out on the other side? Like, was there a specific? act or, or instance or situation that kind of uh, catapulted you to moving forward and deciding that wasn't your path? So before I decided to go be a wild child, I had been deeply connected to personal growth and seminars and books and teachers. And like, I had done a lot of the work. So I had that foundation. And I remember laying in my bed on a stormy day in Portland, Oregon, thinking about which bridge I wanted to jump off of and thinking to myself, there's no way I can do that because my mom is on the planet and I love her and it would be devastating. So my mom kept me here mentally. And I said to myself, I just know that I have, like, I have to figure out a way to learn from this and to see this as an opportunity because I can't deal with being this sad. This isn't right. I I know I deserve better. And I shifted in my mind to thinking about that experience outside of myself. It was like I wasn't in the experience for a while. I was able to access that, that spirit space, that higher power, whatever it is. I was able to look at it from the outside and, and like comfort myself and say, it's going to be okay. Like one day this will all make sense. You just have to keep going. So it was almost like my future self was speaking to me being like, you got this. It's okay. Like there's another side. You're speaking my language. I yeah. love my, I yeah. have the future self. Uh, you know, Mia, I feel like you're one of those people that so embody your story so proudly. You know, you own the fact, you own your past is what I mean to say. Like, you know, you have, you never, when you speak your story, it's so empowering because you have been a stripper and a dominatrix. And those are not things that you often hear people doing. And that you speak of it with this lack of shame. And I'm curious you know, how you've moved through that confidence to share your story around topics that for many people are uncomfortable and for many people may produce hate. And I know that you've been on the recipient end of hate. And I'm just curious about how you've moved through that. It's a great question. I have to say I've had a lot of practice because I came out of the closet as a lesbian when I was 17. So I think when one of your most early experiences is recognizing that there's something about you that's different that a lot of people are not going to like or are going to reject. And I had already experienced a lot of pain and trauma from being rejected for that and having to figure out how to own it and how to love myself regardless and how to find the people in my life that don't give a shit that are like, I don't care, you're awesome, I love you for exactly who you are. So having had that early boot camp in self-acceptance doesn't mean that I didn't experience shame when I finally came out of the other side of my quarter-life crisis and was like, okay, now I'm going to be a life coach. Oh my God, what are people going to think of me? Like, how am I qualified for this? I'm not good enough, blah, 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 and the whole tape, <laughs> you know. 
Um, so I still had to go through it and I recognized that there is actually kind of a predictable pattern to any process in your life where you feel like you need to come out, whatever that is. I think all of us have something we're not, we're not proud of, or we're having a hard time owning. And what I think all of the listeners need to recognize is that, especially if you're a business owner, that story is exactly what makes you different. It's what makes you stand out. It's why people will remember you. And if you have that hero's journey, that arc from like how bad it was to where you are today, that's so inspiring. And so it wasn't an easy process. And I really leaned on some of my big sister type mentors, women who saw my power when I wasn't, when I couldn't see it or reminded me who I am when I was really down on myself or just really struggling and hiding behind the things I was afraid to share. I don't know if I have like a step-by-step process for coming into that exactly, but um, surrounding yourself with powerful women who see you and being vulnerable enough to let them see you and eventually through practice, you know what I'm going to say? Putting myself out there on, on live streaming video, I think is what changed it for me when I finally started to tell my story. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I could not agree more. And that's just part of the work that I do with my clients. And I know that Brie does too, is mm-hmm. you need to share your story. You need to express, you need to share it. And the more that you share it, not only will you be transformed by it, you will also transform the lives of others. And I know that you sharing your story has probably already transformed so many people's lives and coming out with your sexuality and owning it. I mean, you know, I can only imagine that being such a fundamentally deep, hard uh, thing to own and, and to claim into the world, especially in the world that we sadly live in. Well, and especially at 17. Especially at 17. I mean, when I was 17, you know, I thought having a pimple on my nose was like the worst fucking thing in the world. And here you are handling something so big and so beautiful. And would you care to share just a little bit more about how that was like for you? Yeah. <laughs> my mom, we're very close to the point that she thought it was a good idea to look at my journal. So I kind of came out on accident. I didn't, I can't say that I had this moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and be brave and tell my mom now. So she sort of figured it out and then approached me with it. And then every single day of my life beyond that day, I've had the option to either come out or not to the people that I meet. Cause for most of my life I had long hair and, looked like a straight girl. So people would just assume that I was straight unless I told them otherwise. So my whole life, I've had a lot of practice of coming out. So at that period, though, I just remember it being, I I remember feeling a lot of fear that people would reject me, that I would lose friends. In fact, that no one would love me anymore. Like just going through really deep, like heartbreaking feelings And it's showing me who my real friends were. And I think it would be really valuable for all of us to have an experience like that where we're faced with our truth and we don't hide from it. And we're really shown who our true friends are because those are the only people you want around you anyway. So I got that lesson really early and it was painful and it's still painful. I still have people in my family that are, I've had to put boundaries up where I just can't have them in my life. So it's, It's really, um, the harder the things are that you go through in life, the stronger you are and the more powerful of a story and the more powerful of a leader you become. Well, and I love that you talk about that because this is something Tice and I have talked about in terms of boundaries and who you have in your life. And so just to, you know, highlight for our listeners yet again, 
you know, this isn't something that only you go through. Like, this is something that is universal to everyone that's making epic shit happen in their lives. So thank you for pointing that out. Um, So I just wanted to do something really quick. I know that we mentioned, you mentioned having really powerful women around you. And I know that you mentioned in your bio that you're inspired by RuPaul and Tyra Banks and Lady Gaga. So I'd love for you to kind of just share with us, like, what it is about these people that really, truly compels you because I also know that you just joined Tyra Banks's um makeup makeup company yes so like what is it about these people that truly like lights something within you yeah I think the three that you mentioned because Angelina Jolie is in a different category she was also on my list but when you think about her even when she was in her 20s she was a wild child oh my gosh have you seen hackers Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I love that movie. Oh my God, I had such a crush on her back then. So, <laughs> the I've seen every Angelina Jolie movie. <laughs> so, if you draw a comparison between RuPaul, supermodel of the world, the like fiercest drag queen on the planet, that creature, I'm going to call him like this, like unicorn, has done something that no other man on the planet that I'm aware of has done. He's made a fortune off of being a feminine expressing man, like being exactly who he is and putting himself out there. And so it's so in line with my message. And like his whole thing is about teaching people how to love themselves. Lady Gaga, also very similar. Her She calls her audience monsters and she encourages them to be freaks and own their freakness and be weird and it's okay. And she... She's like the mother monster. I've seen her in concert twice. I love it. That was back in the day too, not not current Gaga. Um, and again, her message is self-love. Um, likewise, Tyra Banks, although it's been really interesting um, watching her journey over the years, seeing where she is today, launching this makeup line and using it as a way to empower young women everywhere to start their own businesses, just... And she's so fierce and she's so fabulous and she's so fun and she just tells it like it is and she's like your best friend. That's who I aspire to be. That's who I'm becoming. And so I just resonate so much with those messages. And the Angelina Jolie, well, there's so many layers, but yes, she had her wild child past and now she's become this amazing humanitarian and a mother of a blended family. And there's just so many things about her life that I would love to have and and aspire to be. So yeah. I guess the overlap, yeah, is self-love and and owning your freakness. I want I wanted to do this on purpose. I kind of set you up for something, Mira, that you didn't really know you were being set up for. <laughs> okay. But um I wanted to highlight this because a lot of us idolize people or we have people that we look up to in our lives yeah. and part of the reason that we look up to these people and part of the reason that we see these things within them is because they exist within us. Mm. And so all of the things you just listed about the three people are all things that are already within you that Tice and I see every day when we talk to you and when we look at you. And I just wanted to reflect back to you that while you idolize these people, we idolize you, you are one of these people, Mira, like, and so brilliant. Um, I just kind of wanted to, I'm sorry to set you up unknowingly, but, um, but I just wanted Aww, to reflect that back Bree's to you. getting all teary. I am. You're one of our favorite people for real. Yeah. We love you. Oh, thank you so much. I take that in and I'm hugging you virtually right now. That's, 
It's true. And it's true for all of us. And I, I hope that your listeners are taking that in themselves. Like whoever they admire, that is who they are. Yeah. Yeah. We cannot see a trait in others unless it is mirroring our own trait. Uh, and, and so, you know, Mira talking about self-love, I think it's very easy. I not think I know it's very easy to love the parts of us that we love. It's easy to love the parts of us that are sweet. It's easy to love the parts of us that go with everything else. Um, and I'm curious, you know, how have you stepped into a place of self-love to the parts of you that are not so nice? You know, the, the freaky side, the wild side, the weird side. How do you practice self-love towards things that you may be ashamed of or guilty of or may not like at all? Such a good question. It's a heavy question. So. I know. I'm not ready. You didn't prep me for that one. <laughs> so there are several books that talk about doing shadow work. One of them is by Marianne Williamson. I'm sure you guys could list off several. I've I've really spent the time to study and understand that your darkness or your um, disowned the, the disowned parts of you are also the parts of you where you need the most healing. And so when we can really look at those things that we judge about ourselves and give them space to exist and, and love them, it makes you more of a whole person. And so the how, I mean, shows up in so many ways. The how is when I turn on sexy music and turn down the lights and just dance for myself in my living room because I've retired off the stripper pole, but damn, I still love to move like that. <laughs> that fills my heart. Like that just gives me so much life to, to love on myself that way, to like dance for me. Um, when I, I remember the first time I took a pole dancing class after I had been a dancer, I never took a class while I was a dancer. I just learned on the stage. But when I took a class in class, I realized that I had been dancing for other people that whole time and I didn't know what it meant to dance for myself. Mm. And so I don't know if that's even where I meant to go with this whole thing, but the point is that we have to just look at it and spend time with it and love it and, and do whatever kind of physical practice helps you to get there rather than judging it and pushing it down and pretending it doesn't exist. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And um, and, and you can see in other people when they experience radical self-love, you can tell the difference by how they walk and how they present themselves. And it's really refreshing to see people who unapologetically love all of who they are, and including the shadow stuff and the, the stuff that they'd rather disown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a walk you do really well. Yeah, that's something you do really, really well. So let's shift gears just a tiny bit. I know we touched upon it a little bit earlier, but I would love to dive into sexuality. And I feel like you are such an, a great person to have this conversation with. And, and what does it look like to own your sexuality? Because I think that we often disassociate ourselves with sex, at least because mm -hmm. of our society. And I fucking love that the LGBTQ community is starting to, qu it's questioning what does sex look like and why does it have to be so taboo and why does it have to be a conversation that we do not talk about and so i would love some of your input on you know what sexuality really means and how to own it and how how to be proud of whatever sexual orientation sexual nature sexual desire you have such an important conversation 
So, you know, there are so many layers to this. There is gender and understanding your gender and your gender expression. There's orientation and owning your attractions. There's, um, there's sexual behavior and like, how do you present yourself? Do you, are you more of a conservative person, but like freaky in the sheets or do you love to be the center of attention and let that cleavage just pop on out of your shirt, but actually behind the scenes, you're kind of a good girl, whatever that is. We live in a society. It's got such a complicated, um, relationship with sexuality. It's like, we see all these over-sexualized images in the media and many of us were also raised in some form of religion or awareness of religion where we were only given two options as women. We could either be the virgin or the whore. Yeah, the deviant or the innocent. Right. And so I actually remember the day that I did my audition to be a stripper and I got naked in front of strangers for the first time. I was like, and I wrote in my journal that day, I was like, well, that's it. I'm not a good girl anymore. That's over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to claim that. Like I just, I just went to the dark side. So like somewhere in our heads, we might even have that idea that we are one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's so much slut shaming and there's so, there's just, it's, it's such a big topic. Well, here's like just a small, small, tiny part of this topic. You know, I, I'm well endowed. Mm -hmm. I have boobs. I guess we could use the word. Or, <laughs> and uh, we say fuck, so why can't I say breasts? I don't know. Uh, but, but I don't sometimes like wearing bras. Is that too bad? Like that's a bad thing because I need to be wearing bras because if I don't wear a bra under my shirt when I'm walking my dog around my neighborhood, I feel, I literally feel ashamed that, people might view me as a slut or that I may be judged for that. And it's something so trivial and acknowledge that. And it's so fascinating to me that this is the society that we live in, that we feel, we do not feel good in our bodies unless we're wearing something that tightens our fat mod, fat things mm -hmm. into our bodies. Mm -hmm. And like, why, why is that? Why do we allow this to be the conversation that us women have? Because we don't get slut shamed from men as much as we get slut shamed from other women. Interesting point. Here's the bottom line in this whole conversation. When you figure out who you are as a sexual person and you dissect all the messages you've been given and you decide which ones you accept and which ones you reject... And when you can step out, kind of that walk that Brie was talking about, when you can walk out in that swag and that sexuality and you like turn those hips and you move in the way you want to move and you feel good about it and you can own it, that's when you truly step into your power as a woman. It's directly connected to your sexuality. So think of a role model, someone who is unapologetically sexual and fierce and fabulous. The first person that comes to mind for me is um, Amber Rose, if anyone knows who she is. Mm -hmm. uh, she, just, she has a talk show where she talks about sex, and she's so in your face. She has this thing called the Slut Walk in Los Angeles every year where she – it's a political statement for women to own their bodies. There's this thing called Free the Nipple going on right now. All of that is evidence that women are starting to own their sexuality and step into their power, and it's beautiful. Uh, I, I agree. I think there's nothing m more more powerful than a woman deciding what her story is, whether that's about finances or whether that's about her body and deciding that society is not going to create 
her thoughts for her. She's going to decide who she wants to be and whether or not that aligns with society is not relevant. It's hard, I think, when you are an employee and you really have to be concerned about your image and what's, you know, how is this going to affect everything else in my life? When you're an entrepreneur, this is your life. You do exactly what you want with it. And the more you own your shit, the more people, the right people are going to be attracted to you and the wrong people are going to step away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so as someone who may be stepping into their sexuality and trying to understand and navigate what that looks like for them, what would you recommend? Like, what's the first step that someone can take? Yeah, I'm going to say separate from sexuality uh, in, in the sense of like, what's your orientation? Yeah. I'm going to say in terms of just owning yourself as a fierce woman, I highly recommend pole dancing classes. Because <laughs> you can like, you can tell yourself that it's fitness if you want, if that's what you need to get there. And you're going to, if you're in the right kind of class, you're going to walk into a room of other women of all different shapes and sizes. Probably it'll be a room with no mirrors because we're trying not to like trigger any of your like issues. We're just trying to encourage you to get in your body and acknowledge your body and be present with her. And the sisterhood of that environment and the positivity of, of that environment is hard to explain unless you've done it. Like every woman that I've ever encouraged to do this comes back to me and she's like, oh my God, I had no idea. Like it's so much more than just taking a class. It's so much more than trying to learn how to dance like a stripper. It's like way bigger than that. So if you want to like tiptoe around this idea of really discovering who you are as a sexual being, I the classes that I encourage are called the S Factor. And the founder of those classes, her name is... Sheila Kelly, she has a TED talk, actually. It's called Let's Get Naked. It'll blow your mind. It's it's amazing. It will now be in the show notes. Yes. Um, yeah, I was actually going to add to this. So I know I've been a little quiet during this part of the conversation, and I'm sitting over here kind of having my own process about a lot of this stuff because, <clears throat> you know, of course, I'm sitting over here being like, fuck, I can't say anything. Like, my mom is going to listen to this. And, like, I'm sitting over here having my own shaming conversation within myself because mm. I, you know, I too have always been the good girl and you know, how dare I enjoy sex or talk about it or fucking broadcast it on iTunes. Right. <laughs> like <clears throat> I'm definitely sitting over here having my own process about this. So for anyone that's feeling uncomfortable with this conversation, um, I would highly encourage you to dive into this and do some of the things that Mira is saying. The other recommendation I would have is I took a lap dance class um, a few months back, and it was me and three other women. And one, it was the most fucking intense. Like, I hurt for a week afterwards. <laughs> like, it's no joke. So it's absolutely a form of exercise. And it helped me move my body in ways that I had never thought of before. And you know, in relation to myself, but then also in relation to when I have a partner, you know, how does that play out with someone else in your life as well? And it's, 
it is a fascinating conversation. I'm not fully able to articulate it right now for everyone because I'm going through my own process right now as we speak about it. Um, but I think that it is a great conversation to have. And maybe we, maybe we have Mira on in season two to have a part two about this. Yeah, I think this is a good conversation. And for me, it's interesting because I'm a Scorpio rising Scorpio moon and I really claim a lot of my Scorpioness. and Scorpios can go deep fast. And I joke that I love talking about death and sex <laughs> and, and cults and all dark things. To me, it's fascinating. And I know that Mir and I have gotten into this conversation a lot privately because I'm so fascinated and enthralled by it. And, she, you know, Mira, you just have such a, a beautiful um, background and experience and your own perspective on these things. And so I really appreciate you and I appreciate you being so open um, about your history and about your story and owning it. And I think that, you know, it this doesn't have to be something that causes a lot of triggers. And I think that that's one thing Mira can exemplify is that you can have a past that you, that is shameful to society, but it's not shameful to you. You can have a past that looks messy and looks um, like unadulterated and, and whatever, and, and be really proud of the person that you've created. And Mira is someone that I'm proud of knowing and she's so badass and her past is beautiful. And every messy part of her past is beautiful because it's created who she is now and she has changed my life in so many ways and mine and Bree's life in so many ways and so we're so so grateful for you Mira so grateful thank you I adore you both so much and I just want to honor Bree for her truth just now it's beautiful and I know that your listeners many of them are going through similar things and just yeah thank you yeah, and this is a complicated subject. I mean, we're loading a lot on, like gender does not equal sex. And and so um, we, we had to compact a lot of this into a 30-minute segment. And so, yeah, we're definitely going to have you on again, Mira, so we can break it down even a little bit more for people. And, and you, so that Brie has words. And so that Brie has words. <laughs> And, uh, you know, guys, if, if you are curious about this, if this is triggering something for you, if, if things are coming up for you, don't run away. Keep asking, keep investigating, bring on support. Just like Mira said, bring on support. You don't have to do it alone. It doesn't have to be a terrifying experience. It can actually be a really beautiful unfolding process. So, Miss Mira, we are over our mark, and uh, we could totally sit here and talk about this all day. But seriously, part two will be coming. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the meantime, between part one and part two, where can people find you and how can they connect with you? I'm best found on Twitter at Mira Jolie. Also, my Ambitionista community, that's ambitionista.org. When you land there, you'll find access to our online community, so you'll be encouraged to opt in. And uh, I'm also on all the other platforms, but you'll, you'll see me most actively on Twitter. She's brilliant on Twitter, too. Yes, and she has an, a weekly Twitter chat that you have to join. Yeah. Um, both Brie and I have been uh, featured on her Twitter chat, and we just love all the experts that she brings on. So you got to go check that out. When When is it, Mira? When's your Twitter chat? Mondays. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Hashtag Ambitionista. I figured. Awesome. So we'll add all this to the show notes. And for those of you who are on social media, please come and join us. We are on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at The Amplify Co. We're also on Facebook. We're also everywhere. So just find us. We love you. We will connect with you. And, and until, uh, until we see you next week, uh, make sure to go out and be amplified. I love it. Bye, guys.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.